it's just really refreshing when someone else says people deserve better and uh, makes it. So I really appreciate that. It, it brings me a lot of joy. I think people have a lot of trepidation when they change careers at age 30. And so I don't want to give the impression like I just took a leap of faith or anything. You can actually test this out with the resources available today and de-risk significantly the career transition. Welcome to episode four of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Creating Something from Nothing with Sean Wang. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Introduce yourself to the community. Who are you? What do you do? Where do you work? You know, just a brief introduction about yourself. Thanks, Eddie. This is exciting. So my name is Sean. I'm originally from Singapore and moved to the U.S. for a career in finance, which then turned into a career in tech because I got so obsessed with creating user experience and applications and uh, all that good stuff. I worked at Two Sigma as a software engineer, was the second developer advocate hire at Notify, and then joined AWS to do the same thing. Most recently, I'm head of developer experience at Temporal. Awesome. That sounds like a very fun, exciting journey. <laughs> I think what's interesting about the web is the vast majority of us are actually not formally trained for it. It's an inclusive field and it's such early days that it's still possible. I think a lot of other well-paid jobs or six-figure jobs, you'd have to go through years of formal training before you even get to practice the thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting too, because a lot of times formal training doesn't even move you really far ahead with some companies and businesses, you know, it will, but I know I was going for a bachelor's in computer science back when I was in college and I was learning less in college than I was just going out and programming with freelance and with different companies. So you learn a lot more on the job than you do studying and education and everything with tech, just the way it is. What got you interested in tech, right? You were interested in finance and then you found yourself you know, swinging over into the tech area, what stood out to you? I think the ability to create something from nothing is always compelling. And I was in a hedge fund looking at all these IPOs that were coming out. And a lot of our job was to evaluate the IPOs, see if they're good investments, and then continue to cover them after a public offering. I realized a lot of the value was being created in the private markets. And it was mostly by software engineers and that I could also do that. So I was interested in pursuing value creation activity or whatever you call that, if it's, if it's not so abstract. And I thought that there's just more money to be made in private markets than in public markets. And so I switched over. The other thing that really motivated me personally was that I was a quantitative trader. So in other words, I was running a lot of models and backtesting a lot of trading strategies and presenting that to my portfolio manager, my boss. But the problem was that every time he needed a change, he would tell it to me and then I have to translate that to code and then I have to rerun it in a bit to him. So in other words, I was a script monkey and I was the limiting factor for the usability of my code. So in order to divorce my time from my output, I had to create uh, user interfaces that other people could use. And that's essentially what led me to focus on JavaScript and move away from the sort of number crunchy Excel, Python, Haskell that I was in. I think it's so interesting because a lot of career switchers are in a career, they get 
frustrated with that career. And then they just kind of jump ship and they think tech is easy or interesting, but it's not necessarily tied into what they're doing. So it really intrigues me that you found your love for coding while in the other job. That's a really awesome transition. Yeah. And it wasn't a cold switch as well. I took about a year to test the waters. I became a non-technical product manager at a startup just to see if I could work with software engineers and if I got the space. And then on the side, I also learned JavaScript on my own with the help of Free Code Camp. I think people have a lot of trepidation when they change careers at age 30. And so I don't want to give the impression like I just took a leap of faith or anything. You can actually test this out with the resources available today and de-risk significantly the career transition. I really love that. Bringing analysis, intentionality, and methodology to making big, dangerous leaps like that. I think that's best for everyone, right? It helps you feel more safe and secure and also make sure you're making the right choices. Yeah. In another world, I would be interested in starting like a boot camp to help others do the same thing that I did. But I feel like you should only do that when you've made it and you're kind of retired and you're, all right, let let, let me give back to the next generation. I feel like it's a bit too soon for me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I look forward to seeing that in 20, 30, 40 years, whenever you decide to retire. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So just kind of wrapping up your journey, now you're a developer advocate. What sticks out to you as being a developer advocate versus a straight developer? And what do you enjoy in that? And what keeps you going day to day? So I guess the main difference is that you don't maintain production code. It's not true that you don't write code at all because you actually have to write code really well for your demos to work and for your ability to answer questions from your users. Um, The main responsibility for a dev advocate would be content because that's the thing that startups most need and specifically developer-focused content. And really, it's just a rebranding of marketing because most marketing fails so epically when, when, when trying to relate to things that developers want and need. So the idea is to hire developers to talk to other developers, and it seems to have worked out such that people are really investing in that. I think that people can get overexcited about it, though, because at the end of the day, you're still not a real engineer. Uh, there's still a career ceiling in terms of what a developer advocate can go. There's no established career track from standard engineer to manager to VP to CTO. You're never going to do that. So a lot of developer advocates probably end up as teachers, as independent teachers doing their courses, because if you can teach for one company, why can't you teach for 10 different companies and get a pretty good income based on that? The other people, for example, like myself, I tend towards more products. So in other words, if I ever left developer advocacy, I would want to work more on product management because that's where I have more impact. The tricky thing about developer advocates is that it's kind of regarded to be your job to talk to as many users as possible. But at the same time, you have the least power to do anything to change the product, apart from just begging and pleading with your product engineering team. So there's a spectrum, and I think this is an industry that's still being developed. It's good to see the different routes that people can take. I know a lot of people don't know about developer advocates. So getting a kind of preview into that, like if they want to go that route, what that polls for them is great. Thank you. I guess let's dive into the goal of this podcast is to talk about different things that bring us joy. So for you, what's something that brings you joy that you'd like to talk about today? 
we did a bit of prep before this and the one I picked was something a bit left field. It's a website called Listed Notes and it gives me joy as a user and as a developer who someday hopes to start a business that's similar. So Listen Notes is a podcast search platform. It indexes all podcasts and it gives you a very simple, straightforward search. But the user interface is actually so sensible and it, and it does so much that I just have the best time every time I need to look up something from a podcast, I need to find a podcast. It's the first place I turn to because everything else is so bad at it. Apple, Spotify, or everything else basically doesn't really respect the open web, doesn't really respect the MP3 distributed nature of podcasts. Everyone wants to try to impose their own podcasting platform on you when really I just want to look up an episode. A simple task like that doesn't do very well. Listen notes is just the right mix. It's uh, created by one guy just indexing the entire web of podcasts. He runs a successful independent solo business. And I think it's just great because it makes users happy, makes him happy. And, you know, the tech stack is pretty interesting as well. That's awesome. I never have heard of this before. I'm really into podcasts. I've done a couple of small podcasts myself over time. And yeah, I've actually never run across it. I always end up using the iTunes podcast because it's like the closest to the open web. But like you said, it's still has a lot to be desired. How'd you find out about it? The guy posts about his tech stack every so often and his progress as a business on Hacker News. And every single time he does it, it's super upvoted because he's very transparent. And I think it's very inspirational that one person can do such an amazing website. Like you're literally indexing all podcasts and you're also doing translations to like whatever 10, 20 different languages that he also supports. So it's like a fully fledged web app that has very high standards that most teams of 10, 20, 100 people cannot reach because they're so up their asses about shipping proprietary products that they forget the core user experience. And Listen Notes definitely prioritizes the core user experience. So one example is try to go to iTunes and try to download the MP3 file for any podcast. iTunes has never heard of an MP3. Why? Because they want you to subscribe on their proprietary player. Um, and it's so weird that you would take something that was so open and try to put uh, walls around it. I get the company incentive, but it's just really refreshing when someone else says people deserve better and uh, makes it. So I really appreciate that. It, it brings me a lot of joy. I also take advantage of, by the way, is try to embed your podcast into other uh, websites. So for example, when I was working at Temporal, um, we would do podcasts and I would actually embed it into our blog and put a transcript of the podcast on our blog. And so we wanted a way to embed the player and all the other players don't have the right mix of seeking and fast forwarding, playing a 2x, adjusting the volume. Only listen notes shows a player embed that you can put, sort of chuck in there on your blog and it, and it hovers. It's just a really nice experience to listen to while looking through the transcript maybe looking at links that were mentioned by the guests. And it's all supported by Listen Notes. I'm sure there's features that I don't even know about. You know what I mean? I'm super impressed. I've just looked around it a little bit. As you said, we did a little bit of prep. So I knew you were going to mention that and thought, what is this thing? I've never heard of it. Um, and it looks really exciting. I think I'm going to be definitely spending some time here. There's a lot there, like enough that I was like, let me skim it and find out what all it does. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to figure that out like in a short time of skimming it. <laughs> yeah, it presents information in the way that the authors of the podcasts want to show it to you instead of trying to hide it 
in favor of the platform's priorities. So very simple things like show notes. Um, a lot of platforms just hide them from you because, again, they just want you to play the podcast and download their app or whatever. But listen notes is web first, so that, that just shows up there. Um, it's just clean and really nice. I really appreciate it. It's just the internationalization. You can see, like, there's all these languages that, that are supported, and it's the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that because so much of the world doesn't speak English. It's not like the podcast is translated at all, but it's just more usable software for people. Yeah, that's amazing. I worked at another company a couple of years ago and we had like an engineering team of like 40 and the topic of internationalization was brought up and it was like, hush, no one say that word because of the upkeep and all of the burden and stuff. So to have one person doing that, that's absolutely amazing and super inspiring. So there's one feature that I wish Listen Notes had <laughs> that's in a different app. So it's called Listen Box. And so what happens is a lot of people start publishing video podcasts on YouTube, which is just live streams or edited live streams. And it's a series and they don't publish the MP3 anywhere else. So what Listen Box does is it starts to help you strip the audio from the video and just listen to the audio. And you could listen on the YouTube player itself, but it's just nice to have an audio-only experience. So you're, you're doing other stuff. Uh, you can listen to it like a podcast. And obviously, maybe you're missing out something on screen, like the visual aids or, or the facial expressions. But still, you get to skim the content without using your eyes. And I think that's just really a nice experience. And I wish that these two sites that start with listen in their name would combine. <laughs> I actually had a podcast that I was interested in, but very rarely listened to because it was only a YouTube video. And I don't subscribe to YouTube. I can't have it closed down in the background of my phone and listen to it. It has to be open on the screen. And they did finally turn into a podcast, so I won't end up using this for them. But that definitely was a key thing where like, I wasn't listening because I couldn't listen audio only. And this would have been super handy. So that is really awesome to see. And like you said, they, they should do a merger. If, if listen box and listen notes is listening, start talking, you should merge. Please get together. Yeah, exactly. As a community, we really love to support each other. And so one thing that before we wrap up, we'd really love to hear is, is there anything that we can do to help support you? Do you have anything that you're involved in or anything you've worked on that you'd like to share with the community that they might be helpful themselves? Yeah, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Coding Career Handbook. And it's basically to help junior developers level up into senior by talking about everything that happens after you get the job. And I think people are very focused on job hunting and interviewing in terms of tech career advice books. But mine is more of a career reflection on principles and tactics that you can use to advance your career. Um, I do a weekly meetup call where it's like a book club led by the author where we just talk about chapter by chapter and then check in on the members lives in fact i'm going to do one in about an hour from this call and it's just a really good mentorship experience if you're interested in that for your team or for yourself if someone's like a mid-level engineer do you think this would still be helpful for them Honestly, it's just the marketing line. It really applies to everyone that is interested in personal growth. Applied for developers. You scope it down so that you have a cohort of people who are roughly about the same stage in life, right? So that's really what I'm trying to optimize for because I think that's the biggest gap in the market. That's something that I personally went through 
as well. So I have a lot of credibility when talking about it. We have engineering managers in our calls. We have one VP of Eng who was, was really enjoying our conversations because he loves pr- providing his perspective. And I think you, you also just pick up interesting ideas that don't really have anything to do with level. They're just interesting ideas, period. Personally, for me, I, I have had a really lucky, fortunate career as a content creator. And a lot of developers, when they want to start out doing that, they kind of tune in for that as well. Awesome. Where can they find your book that you wrote? Yeah, it's at learninpublic.org. And that's basically the foremost principle of everything and anything that I do. So I just bought the domain. Um, I hope to turn it into a nonprofit someday, but right now it's just a book sales site. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So if that speaks to anyone listening, right, whether you're a junior engineer or a VP of engineering, go check that out, learninpublic.org. And thank you, Swix, for joining us today, just talking about something that brings you joy on the internet. Thank you. This brought me a lot of joy, too. Thanks for joining us for episode four, Creating Something from Nothing with Sean Wayne. You can find out more about Sean on his Twitter, at Swix. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Sean's Twitter in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing it in your favorite podcast directory and following us on Twitter at WebJoyFM. Thank you and have a great day.